Uh, we're going to continue our study in the subject of the Holy Spirit. And as we go along, things are going to become more and more practical. And as we will be able to make further application personally. So we've been learning a lot about the Holy Spirit. Tonight we're going to uh, tie in a lot of the passages that I've been making reference from by memory and looking at the things that we've been studying. And we're going to pull a lot together this evening on the mission of the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What does He do? What is His work? And so I find this a very fascinating subject. We look at what is the Holy Spirit doing, and at the end of this study, I'm going to give you a list, at least my list so far. I might be able to double that soon. I don't know. We'll see. Of the things that the Holy Spirit is actively doing among us in His church and among Christians. So I think if you pay attention to that, we'll be able to put some of that together, and we'll come to that near the conclusion here. What do you do during the week? You ever been asked that? If you're retired or working, you probably don't like that. So what do you, what do, you do during the week? You know, it depends on how you say it. I've had an elder, I've only had one elder who's ever asked that of me. What do you do during the week? And I thought, well, come, come see what I do. <laughs> so that question could be a, a challenge. And at the same time, it's what, what activities you're involved in. And I think a lot of people are asking the same questions about the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? What's he do throughout the whole week? What's he do throughout the whole of all, of all time? What role and purpose does he have? And it is true. When you read throughout the Bible, the emphasis on the Holy Spirit is quite less. References to him are less than that of Christ. And references to Christ are less than, that, than God the Father as the creator in general. And I wouldn't read too much into that. Because we know from Genesis chapter 1 with Christ, is the, excuse me, the Spirit of God hovering over the waters in Genesis 1 and verse 2 and to the very end on the Holy Spirit's blessing upon those who obey the words in this book in Revelation 22, we see the activity of the Holy Spirit throughout the Bible. And it's a wonderful thing to think about. So what does the Holy Spirit do? That's what we're going to be looking at tonight, His mission and His purpose. Make it very simple. If you could sum it up right now, I'd give you this passage right here. Someone says, what does the Holy Spirit do? He does this. Specifically for us, I would emphasize, and this is not the only thing He does, but this is what I would be emphatic about, is that He transforms our lives. He transforms us. He helps us, those who have sinned and been made in the image of God, to become more like Jesus Christ. That's what He does. He makes us holy. He sanctifies us. He strengthens us. He does many things in our life. How exactly He does that, I can't tell you in every way, specifically. But if I were to give you one specific way, you're going to see it tonight. And that is through the truth that He reveals. All truth has been revealed by the Holy Spirit to the apostles of Christ in the first century. And that is much, there's a lot to think about when you think about that. The all-sufficiency of what was revealed to the apostles and prophets in the very beginning. One other passages I'm not going to bring out this evening would be Ephesians chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. I encourage you to look at that and even back up a little bit into Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. And you see the Holy Spirit at work in the church, that the Holy Spirit dwells within his body, the church, within the temple. And he dwells within every one of us. Look at this scripture right here. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 18. And some of this might be confusing, but if you go and you read it within context, 2 Corinthians 3 and the beginning of chapter 4, 
you'll be able to pick up on some of these words and what Paul is saying. So he's contrasting Moses, who came down from the mountain and had to veil his face because he was in the glory of the Father, that his face had shone, that it had glory upon it, and it was hard to look upon Moses. And now he's saying, now the Holy Spirit is doing a greater work, a work that is unveiled, with unveiled face. And he says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. God is transforming us and He's changing us for the better. To live in the ministry of the Holy Spirit and not by the old dead law on commandments written on stone. That's what 2 Corinthians 3 is about. And then Paul's going to carry this into chapter 4 and he's going to say again that he's transforming us into the image of Christ. And this is what the Holy Spirit is doing. From one degree of glory to another, and it says right here, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Spirit is transforming us. And there's a number of other passages to add to that. Some of them I have already up there for you. If again, you look at 1 Corinthians 6.11, as I've been making reference, I think almost every week, that the Holy Spirit justifies us, He sanctifies us, He saves us. 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 7 through 8 teaches us that the Holy Spirit sanctifies us. He makes us holy. He's, that, that process of making us holy throughout our whole life is the tr- process of transformation. That's what He's doing. And the most obvious way that He does that is through the truth, through God's Word that has been revealed through Christ and through the apostles. So when would God give the Holy Spirit to believers of Christ? And this is what He says to His apostles here. So I need to specify this. When we're looking at John... And we're looking at chapters 14 through 16. Jesus is talking to his apostles. There are a lot of people today. I went on the internet and I was looking at what some people were saying about the Holy Spirit and what he does. Just kind of Googled it. Most of the sites that came up said things like the Holy Spirit. Well, he gives us all truth directly. And I'm thinking again, there it is. The misapplication. I've heard it many times of someone saying that the Holy Spirit gives us all truth to every single believer. And that's not what Christ says. He's very specific in talking to the apostles that they had that ability. Now, when is the Holy Spirit given? Christ says in John 16 and verse 7, when He is glorified. And reference in the, in the book of John, meaning when He is crucified. After He's crucified, then Christ will give His Holy Spirit. Why, do, why does every Christian need the Holy Spirit? That's the problem we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at that, look at the details of what we read tonight, and then we'll get to that final list and see what the Holy Spirit again is doing in our lives. Let's look at the details about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in John chapter 7, verses 37 and 39, He's come to the last day of the feast. This is the the Feast of Booths, which would have been in uh, early fall or late, it would be early fall. And so it says, on the last day of the feast, in the great day, Jesus stood up and He cried out, and now, on the last day of this feast, this is not in the Old Testament, but what we know from history is that there was um, a, a ritual of water that was done at this time of cleansing. He says, if anyone thirsts, and some of them were drinking as well, he says, let him come to me and drink. So he's, he's building off of that. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So the quotation of Old Testament Scripture that the these living waters will be poured forth. And then he says this, Now this he said about the Spirit, 
He's talking about the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And Joel 2, the Holy Spirit again is being described as being poured out. Many times the Holy Spirit is described in the sense of like a liquid. Now he isn't, but the, the description of him is that his indwelling will be like that and his giving to the apostles will be like this. So now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. The Holy Spirit has not been given to them yet. But the Holy Spirit will be given to those who believe. And upon all those who, believe, who obey him, Acts chapter 5 tells us that as well. So who did Jesus promise to receive the Holy Spirit? Now, we're all going to receive the Holy Spirit. We're all promised that gift. But very specifically, we want to look at what he did on behalf of the apostles. So tonight, as we're looking at the mission of the Holy Spirit, we see what he does through the apostles and what he gives them. Listen to what Christ does here. In John chapter 20, Christ has been resurrected from the dead. And he says this, and this is what happens. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. Now, Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. And the Holy Spirit will come upon them soon. Now, he says, receive the Holy Spirit. He doesn't mean right then, because we know in Acts chapter 2, that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles at that one time. One of the other things that I've been studying, I've looked at a number of commentaries on it, and I've yet to find an answer, is what the text here means. And if you can help me out, let me know. I know some of you are very diligent in your study, and you may have already come across the answer to this. But he says, it says here, he breathed on them. I don't understand what that means. If he blew on them or he did something else, I don't understand that. Um, if that's a general speaking of him teaching to, uh, them. Now, the commentators do say this, this. The phrase here for breathing on them is the same in Greek form from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. God breathed life into man. So something is coming of which the Holy Spirit, he's going to give life. And so the idea of breathing life into Christians, that's what we're, we're seeing right here. All right, how did Jesus preach about receiving the Holy Spirit? So he tells his disciples this, if you then who are among his disciples, and there might have been others said, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, who is he referring to who's going to receive the Holy Spirit by asking him? And those who pray, of course. And we see the apostles in the upper room receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit there in Acts chapter 2. And there might be other things that we, we would reflect upon. But as Christians, when we are baptized, we're appealing to God for a good conscience to wash away our sins, to make us holy. And we see that at that point we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. There's probably more that we can comment on that, and we will uh, hopefully as we move along. But the Spirit was with the apostles. But one thing we're going to see is that Christ begins to teach them. He says, the Holy Spirit is with you, but He's going to be in you. So in the Old Testament, we see that a lot. There are references in the Old Testament of the Spirit being in someone or the Holy Spirit being within Elizabeth, as we saw last week, and, and within John the Baptist when he was in the womb. What the, the exact Greek words there, I, I haven't looked up yet. But he says this, the Spirit was with the apostles, but something to note here is that he will be in the apostles. 
The idea of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that's promised in the Old Testament is coming. So how did Jesus describe the Holy Spirit? Look at this. Uh, Jesus instructed His apostles and He says, I will pray and the Father, He will give you another helper. The Greek word for helper right here is parakletes. And I've kind of wrestled with this because different scholars and different translations have a different translation here. They'll have the uh, helper, they'll have the advocate. Or advocate meaning someone called beside them. But as I study this, the verb form here of parakletes, parakaleo, which is in the Bible, is often means encourage. So what I'm reading here is that I'll pray the Father and He'll give you another encourager. The Holy Spirit is the encourager. That He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth. Notice that description there as well. The Holy Spirit being connected with the revealing of truth. He is the Spirit of truth. He gives us wisdom. He gives all truth. And again, Jesus is speaking specifically to His apostles here about the blessing and what's going to come upon them. The Spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. And so there's something that's changing. The Holy Spirit is not going to be just with you. He's going to be dwelling within you. And you definitely see that change when the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and the things that they do and what they proclaim. I want you to look at this as well. I had, an, I had the, also uh, John chapter 15, verse 26 up here. I removed it because I didn't want to overburn you with, with, with too much tonight. But I encourage you to look at John 15, 26. Hopefully we'll come back to it. But listen to what Jesus says in John 14, 26. He says, But the Helper, the Encourager, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all that I have said to you. Again, Jesus is saying this to the apostles. He's not saying this to everyone. Now, if we were to take John 14 through 16 and say, oh, this is for all Christians, all of a sudden now we should be remembering everything that Jesus ever said to us. But Jesus, we didn't know him personally. Again, it's Jesus talking to the apostles. They live with him. They heard him. And I remember as a kid asking the question, I thought, how did the apostles, how did they remember all these things that Jesus did? How did Matthew remember that? And how did John remember it? And how did Mark have this recorded? And how did Luke get all this material from various witnesses? And we read right here that the Holy Spirit, the encourager, that He will again come and He will teach all things. And this is another thing we're going to see in a moment. Jesus says, there are some things I need to teach you that I haven't taught you yet. You ever thought about that? That Jesus didn't teach His apostles everything that they needed to know. It's not until we get into, like, into the New Testament that we see the need for the church, its formation, how it's put together, how there's a need for elders. You don't have Jesus speaking on that matter. You don't have Christ talking about elders and deacons. And so that is His Spirit that He sent, the Spirit of truth, speaking through His apostles to reveal those important details to us. Uh, how... Uh, Christ's redemption and how justification works, as Paul talks about in Romans, certain details. What the church at Corinth, as we studied through 1 Corinthians, what they needed to hear about how the church is to organize and to be, and behave. That, again, are things that are revealed from the Holy Spirit. But again, when I was thinking about how did 
the apostles remember all these things. Well, Christ said, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to bring you into remembrance of all things so that you have a knowledge of these things. And he's going to, again, teach you all, all truth. We're going to come back to that in a moment. So how can the apostles remember everything about Jesus Christ? Well, again, the Holy Spirit working through them. These are some fascinating scriptures to me. I really love John 16 to think about these things and that the, how they apply. And hope you'll think about them further as well. Look here in John chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Now we know that the world can't receive the Holy Spirit. But what the Holy Spirit is doing and revealing truth is going to convict the world. The world's going to be convicted. And it's true that everyone who's ever lived and come to maturity has grappled with grief and guilt in their life for things that they've done. And here, what is communicated through the truth of the gospel is sometimes offensive to people. It's convicting of the world. Listen to what Jesus says to his apostles. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. So Jesus must go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, that is the encourager, will not come to you. So when Christ goes away, after that, after his resurrection, he ascends, the, help, the uh, helper, the Holy Spirit, will come upon them. He says, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. He's going to come through you and through the apostles who are revealing, who've been given all truth as they preach the word and spread it throughout the world, that they're going to convict the world about what? Of sin and righteousness and judgment. Why? Well, he's going to give us a little bit about that in a moment. But that's very true. When people hear us preaching and teaching the gospel of Christ, they hear sin, they feel guilt, they hear about righteousness and a standard that they oftentimes they can't live up to. Of course, we need Christ to justify us. And they hear that there's a day of judgment coming. Jesus says here, he says, concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. The wicked one, Satan, is judged and condemned. And anybody who aligns with him and who turn, turns against Christ comes to judgment. So there is some revelation there that, that reaches to the world, convicting the world. And so what do we do with that? And I think this applies to everybody. At some point, we're going to be convicted on these three things. And the Holy Spirit does that through the preaching of the word and the truth. What can a natural person of the world understand about the Holy Spirit? Now, a natural person here doesn't mean someone who is specifically sinful. But in the context of 1 Corinthians, you have had those who are rebellious. And he says here, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So it doesn't mean that someone is able to, those in the world who are rebellious against God are able to understand everything, but they are convicted by the Holy Spirit to some extent. And I think those are things to keep in mind when we think about when we're teaching the gospel to other people. Sometimes some want to remind people of how sinful they are, and some people have become hardened in their heart. But I think we need to realize that a lot of people already feel that, they already know that. They can't keep up with their own standard. They know they need help. So I think we need to be very cautious and gentle with that when we start thinking about that. That some have already been convicted in some of these areas. And to go on and give them the good news. 
And so that conviction, again, shines light on the gospel and how good it is for us. So this, again, why does the Spirit need to do that? And we see the world and the state it's in. It is certainly necessary. Let's move on a little bit further, further here. How much truth was the Spirit to reveal to the apostles? If I already emphasize you another verse tonight and ask you to write one down and to note, and one that I've been mentioning through the first few weeks and I'm going to continue to mention, is this one right here. John chapter 16, 12 through 13. John chapter 16, 12 through 13. Look what Christ says here to his apostles. And I think this is very important. Well, the facts and the truth that's established here. Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus had many more things to say to his apostles, but you cannot bear them now. So he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, notice again that description, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Not some of it, not a part of it. And I think that is very important. We have Jesus saying to his apostles, the Holy Spirit is going to guide you into all the truth. When? In the first century. They had all the truth. And so when somebody comes along today and they says, well, God spoke to me and told me to write down a New Testament of more truth. Again, it makes no sense based upon this scripture that all truth was revealed then. So I want to turn to Christ. I want to turn to the apostles and their guidance and those who are inspired by the Holy Spirit, the prophets that have written in the New Testament and listen to them. This is what the scripture says, for he will not speak on his own authority, whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you more things that are to come. So I, again, very powerful scripture that the Holy Spirit revealed all truth in the first century. And for us to come along today and to say, well, the Holy Spirit has more truth to reveal that doesn't make sense. Now, when we look at the subject of the illumination of the Holy Spirit, I believe, again, the illumination of the Holy Spirit that's mentioned in Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about the Holy Spirit um, and how He has guided us by the Word, by the Scriptures, by what He has given us. I can't go in and just start reading into the Scriptures and say, well, the Holy Spirit has given me extra information or that He's given me personal revelation. I want to be very careful with that. What I need as far as truth is right here in Scripture. All truth has been revealed. So revealing all truth, what are the implications of this again? The implications of the Holy Spirit revealing all truth is this, that the apostles possessed complete revelation in the first century. They've been given everything. With all truth, the apostles oversaw the early churches uh, collecting the New Testament Scriptures. They did. And you see that within the Bible that they oversaw how the Bible was put together and that the scriptures we have are all sufficient and all that we need and all teaching and every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 to 17 tell us that. Christians have lacked nothing in truth for 20 centuries. I don't know if I should change that to 21 centuries. For 20 centuries, we've lacked nothing. All truth has been given and we haven't in the scriptures. And God revealed all the truth of his purpose for humanity right here. And someone to say, well, God has another purpose. God's changed the mission of the church, or he's changed this or that. I don't see that because the Bible says we have an eternal covenant, we have all truth. The very idea of that seems absurd to me. 
So the scriptures are the source of all truth for Christians today. And again, I want to emphasize 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where Paul says every scripture is God's breath and is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So for the person of God to be complete, equipped for every good work, they have it in all the doctrine right there. God's breath has been, is, is possessed and given through the Scriptures. 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. So Jesus commands through the Spirit. And I think this is fascinating as well because we continue to see this being tied in. Look right here in Acts chapter 1, and I got this on the screen as well, verses 1 through 2. Luke opens the book of Acts and he says this, In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, whom he had chosen. So after he'd been taken up, he has given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. So God, Christ had more to say. He said it through the Holy Spirit. And those commands are given in that way. So Luke demonstrated the book of Acts, uh, that the book of Acts, again, how the apostles carried Jesus' commands to the world. So first converts in Acts chapter 2 it makes sense now. Of all the commands, that these things have been revealed by the Holy Spirit and have been given to the apostles and all truth has been given to them, it makes sense that the, the, those who were baptized and those who became Christians would be devoted to the apostles' doctrine. They're devoted to what we have now that's written down in Scripture, in the text. That's what you see in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, when they were baptized. So why does every Christian need the Holy Spirit? I want to conclude with this tonight and give you some things to hold on to. In a list, I thought about making the list where I could click through it, but I think that would discourage you that are writing this down. Uh, this should already be linked on our website, so if you want to go there and, again, look over the, the list, you can. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives today? So this is that concluding thing I want to leave with you tonight. We see this, that He transforms our lives, He makes us, and is transforming us into the image of Christ to be like Him. That he convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what he does. And he does it through the truth. Thirdly, we see up there that he makes the faithful holy. He makes us sanctified. That's a part of the transformation as well. Number four, the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. When we read in Romans chapter 8 that we pray to the Father, the Scripture says, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That means He is speaking on our behalf to the Father. While we have grumblings and hard, hard things that we can't communicate in words, the Holy Spirit speaks on our behalf. Now, some have taken that to mean that the Holy Spirit within us is doing that. Like the Holy Spirit from within us is able to communicate to God. Uh, that may be true, but I don't see that being actually said there in that passage in Romans 8 and verse 26. And I think you be stepping a little bit too further to read in the, to, to the text that way. So again, the Holy Spirit intercedes to God. I would add to that, the text also says in Romans chapter 8 that Christ intercedes for us. So again, that gives us a good picture of how we should pray. There are a few places in the Bible where we see an individual praying to Christ, but for the most part, it is believers praying to God the Father while the Holy Spirit prays with them and intercedes for them, and Christ intercedes for them, prays for them on their behalf as He's at the right hand of God. few more points here. 
Look here, number five, it says that the Holy Spirit, the scripture says there in Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, this is what is often called the illumination of the Holy Spirit. He enlightens hearts with wisdom, revelation, and knowledge. Where does the wisdom, revelation, and knowledge come from? I'm going to have to go with the basis of what the book of Ephesians says, that it comes from the, from the apostles. Not that I'm getting direct revelation from God, but that what has been given from the apostles from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19, down to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 5, tells us very clearly where that wisdom, revelation, and knowledge is coming from. I don't want to go too far with that. I don't want to imply too much or to think beyond what the Scriptures are telling me. The Bible even tells us not to go beyond what is written. We definitely don't want to do that. Number six, the Holy Spirit, He gives us strength. Ephesians 3 and verse 16. Now, I'm, I'm putting these things up here, and some of these things have kind of crunched down. And if you see something up here and say, you know what, there's another verse that says the Holy Spirit does this, you might want to add that to the list. I would appreciate that if you see anything missing here, anything to be added. So he gives us strength. How so? Personal indwelling, strengthening, yes. By the Word of God, yes. Those things, I think, are pretty obvious. Number seven here, he fills believers that are, fills our lives with holy qualities. That is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. He gives us the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are blessings from the Holy Spirit of which we can look in our life and say, is the Holy Spirit doing good in my life? Is He dwelling within me or am I sinning and rebelling against Him? And I see that when I'm living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, those things are going to be manifested in my life. Those are the wonderful blessings that come from the Holy Spirit. You know what? And I was reading a commentator this week on this. And he said in regards to the fruit of the Spirit that some people today, if they could write the fruit of the Spirit, they would put, well, the fruit of the Spirit for them, this is not what the Bible says. They would say, well, I can prophesy and I get special revelation and I can speak in tongues and I have visions and I dream dreams. And that's the fruit that they would say comes from the Holy Spirit. But that's not what the Bible says. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, again, is love and joy, peace, patience. And again, look at that list, all nine of them in Galatians chapter 5, 22 to 23. I think that's very important to see there. That is how the Holy Spirit, how He is actively working in His church and within Christians today. Number eight, the Holy Spirit seals. He seals us and He is the guarantee of eternal inheritance. When I see those blessings and I know the Holy Spirit is dwelling within me because I've been baptized in Jesus' name. That's the moment of which we are saved. When we've been baptized in His name, in water, and it's God who does the work and lifts us up and rises us to the newness of life. We are sealed at that point. We have a guarantee that we're going to have eternal life. We're going to have an eternal inheritance. We're going to live in that heavenly kingdom. And I look forward to that. And tied into that is number nine. The Holy Spirit, He resurrects the bodies of the faithful on the last day. He resurrects the bodies of the faithful on the last day. And that's really tied into 1 Corinthians 6 because Paul says you want to live a holy life. Why? You, got to do, you need to treat your body the way that God wants you to treat it. Why? Because that body is going to be resurrected and that body is going to be glorified and put on a spiritual nature. He says, therefore, you treat the body you have now in a holy way because it will be resurrected. Uh, there's more that we can tie into that. But to think about that, again, what the Holy Spirit is doing, those are, those are nine things that I see tonight. Here's 10 through 14. No, I'm just kidding. So I just got nine of them right there. But if you can add more to that list, I'll be happy to add 10 through 14. 
All right. Tonight, as we look at the blessings of the Holy Spirit, that He's revealed all truth, what Christ has said and what He has said to His apostles, I hope that we'll take these things to heart and use them. Tonight, if you want the blessings that come from the Holy Spirit, the things that He gives you, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, the pouring out that is promised upon all Christians, you can see that in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5, you can have that tonight. But being baptized in Jesus' name, and rising up in a newness of life. It is at the point in which we're baptized that all of our sins are washed away. And I think it's a wonderful thing to know that the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And Paul makes application through that throughout his writings. Live a holy life because the Spirit of Christ dwells within you. Because you are the Holy Church and the Holy Spirit dwells within you. So tonight, if you haven't been baptized into Christ, you're not a Christian yet, you haven't been saved yet, you haven't been a part of the church, do that. If you need prayers and encouragement, we encourage you to do that while we stand, while we sing.